Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc.isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. Good morning. Good to see you. So excited that you are here with us today. Is an exciting, exciting Sunday. I want to do something right up front to make sure you don't spoil the surprise. Okay, so I want everybody, that envelope that you got when you came in, and if you don't have one, steal it from the person next to you. It's okay. It's just church. We're in the business of forgiveness, so we can make that happen for you. Everybody grab that and just put it in the air. Now shake it like a Polaroid. Just kidding. Uh, somebody said, no, pastor, right? Okay, but everybody's got, don't open it. Okay, do me, don't, I know, some of you are like, what? Don't open it. Hold on to it. Look, I won't open mine. We're going to do it together, okay? We're going to do it together, and I promise we're going to get there. Just give me a couple moments before we get there, okay? So we're very excited about today. Today is a big day in the history of sun, sunrise. It's a big day in uh, the leadership of this church. It's a big day uh, for you as well, and we're extremely excited about what God is continuing to do here at Sunrise. And what I want to do is this, before we get to our envelope, is I just want to do this. I, wanna, I want you to ask the question of yourself, maybe kind of examine, reflect for a moment, and ask yourself, what do you see? What do you see in the future? Like when you look forward, what do you see? Even when you think of the church, Sunrise Church, when you look forward into the future, what do you see? And the reason this is important is because when we look in the future, depending on what we see, it affects how we live in the present. So if we look forward in the future and we're cynical or we're pessimistic, how is that going to affect our present? Well, it's probably going to discourage us from really persevering through hard times because we think the future is just inevitably bad. If we're pessimistic and we're cynical about the future, then we're not going to be courageous in the present to do good to change the future that we feel is inevitable. Now, if we look to the future and we're hopeful, we're optimistic, we see something great in the future. And I'm not talking about the, an, an over-exaggerated uh, optimism. I'm talking about optimism with a sense of realism in it. But if we look to the future and we have hope and we think things are going to get better or that they can get better or we want them to get better, if we have this kind of optimistic idea that there's something good in the future, it will change our present. Why? 
Because it, it allows us to, to believe that the good we do will actually change things. The present labors of our life are actually going to lead to life change in other people. So let me ask you, again, when you look to the future for Sunrise Church, what do you see? Right, we're coming out of the pandemic, and I still don't know if that's the appropriate term to use, out. Are we in? Are we by? Are we near? Are we nudging the pandemic? I don't know what what word to use, right? But we're moving out of this pandemic, right? As kind of a nation, there's this kind of economic uncertainty, right? Even in our region, with everything happening with Intel, there's some maybe some uncertainty. If you really localize it, you make it really close to us, Sunrise Church. We're in, the, in kind of the midst of a leadership transition. Pastor James has handed the baton to me. Now you have this goofy-looking pastor, right, who says he's 38, but he looks like he's 12, <laughs> right? And you're not quite certain if this is real, right? So what do you see? With all of those things in play, what do you see for Sunrise Church? Do you see abundance in the future? Or do you see adversity in the future? So I want to do, before we open those envelopes, because this is when we get to the point where we say, here's the future that we as a staff believe God has for us. Now, this is not a revelation. Don't take it like that. We're not putting what's in that envelope on the same level as the Bible. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is this. We believe as we have thought together, prayed together, studied together, and made decisions together, we believe this is the best way to steward the resources that God has given Sunrise Church to reach the area around us. And so when we fast forward 10 years and say, these things that are boiling up inside of us, if they come to fruition, if they come to full actualization, if they come to full manifestation, if these things boiling in us, these hungers, if they're fully met, here's what we believe this church will look like in 10 years. And that's what we're going to describe to you. I want you to think about your vision. I want you to think about your perspective. And what I want to do is I want to challenge you to have the vision that Jesus has. Because we see a glimpse of this in the ministry life of Jesus. Where he's preparing some of his followers and he's going to give them this vision. And in this vision, this kind of description of the future, he's going to give them a vision of both abundance and adversity at the same time. It's not one or the other. It's a both and. The adversity doesn't mean there's not abundance. And the abundance doesn't mean there's not adversity. Which leads us to the big idea for today. So if you're going to write down one thing, I want you to write this down. But don't write it down on the piece of paper inside the envelope because then you'd have to open the envelope. (laughs) Big idea is this. We harvest among wolves. We harvest among wolves. Now I want to unpack three of those words. As we look in the ministry life of Jesus as he commissioned some of his followers. We're going to look at we harvest and wolves. So let's jump right into Luke chapter 10 when Jesus is commissioning a group of his followers. Commissioning meaning he is sending them out to do a significant work. And what he's going to tell them, we could summarize with we harvest among wolves. He's going to tell them you're going to go harvest among wolves. The first word I want us to look at is we. We. Not just me, but we harvest. Look at John chapter 10, starting with verse 1. 
It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Now, at first glance, you're like, there's nothing significant here. Right? Luke is just setting the stage. He's just giving the attendance. He's just reporting the numbers. Hey, there happen to be 72 of these guys. Jesus sends them out. They're going out to places that Jesus is going to go. So they're kind of preparing the ground. This is just strategic ministry planning. And these are the people who happen to be there. But there's something much more in this passage. Look again at verse 1. It says, the Lord appointed 72 others. Let's just focus on that word right there. Others, what does that mean? What does others mean? Well, think about it even when you use that term. You can have this for dinner, or you could have this for dinner. You want this or the other thing. That term other can only be understood if there is another noun, another grouping. So it at least implies that there's two groups. There's this group and another group. So Jesus saying, or Luke is describing to us, that Jesus appointed 72 Others. So what is the other group that this group is separated from? Look down at your Bible. Luke chapter 9 is when Jesus or Luke mentions two other groups. And so we should understand the group that Jesus is appointing here as different than these groups. Luke chapter 9 verses 1 and 2 say this. He called the twelve... Together gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So maybe this is the group. And so Luke, in Luke chapter 10, as he describes there are 72 others, what he would be saying is, it's not these guys. It's not the 12. They're not included in this group. Jesus is sending out another group. That doesn't include them. Now that's significant. We'll get to that point. But let's go to the end of Luke chapter 9. There's another group mentioned. Verse 52. He sent out messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. Now who is this group? Okay, so we had the disciples, the 12, you know, the guys you see in the chosen all the time. We have those guys in Luke chapter 9 that are mentioned. And now we have these messengers that have been sent to this village in Samaria. Now, I believe these messengers are the 12. I don't think this is a different group. I think it's the same group. And we see that later because they're rejected. So I think, now it could be possible that this is including more than the 12. Either way, this is the point in Luke chapter 10. Whether it includes the 12 or doesn't. The point is Jesus is expanding the amount of people who are involved in his ministry. Because even if it included the 72, but it's not these messenger guys, 72 is a lot larger than 12. So there's a lot more people involved in the mission of God. And maybe the 12 are not even included in this sending. Now this is significant because these guys get the same instruction. These 72 in Luke chapter 10 will receive the same instructions that the disciples, the 12 got in Luke chapter 9 and in Matthew chapter 10. When they were commissioned out, they do the same exact thing. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because we realize that ministry is not for professionals. 
It's for all people. It's not a select few. If you go back to the big idea, the big idea was we harvest among wolves. It doesn't say some harvest among wolves or a few harvest among wolves. Or the guy who looks good in plaid and can stand on stage and put a phrase together. He, that was a reference to me. You're like, you don't look good in plaid though. So Paul, that doesn't work. I appreciate that. But right, this is not about professionals. There's no amateur league in the mission of God. We harvest. All of us harvest. That's what we're called to. You know, I think sometimes in our Christianity, we, we, we kind of think of Christianity kind of in these two phases, right? We think of that, that kind of relational community phase, and then we think of that like missional activity phase, right? There's this phase over here. It's about me being near Jesus. And then there's this other phase where it's like, okay, now it's me on mission with Jesus. But that's, those categories don't exist separately in the New Testament, Here's a simple way to think about it. Jesus is on mission. So if you're near him, you're on mission with him. If you're not on mission with him, then you're not near him. The community that Jesus calls us to is a community on the move. Right? It's, it's like instead of seeing Christianity like a cruise ship, like you get on board, you enjoy the lobster and the lounge singer and all that other stuff, and they get a slide, and you're all like hanging together. This is great. This is fun. It's better to, to see the mission of God more like an aircraft carrier. Right? You get fed. There's some fun. But you're sending guys out. You're launching aircraft. Right? You're on mission. You're doing something. Right? You can't have this kind of cruise ship mentality when it comes to the mission of Jesus Christ. Hey, just come, be near me, stay away from all those other people who don't follow. No, that's not how it works. The call of Jesus is not just you come into community. The call of Jesus changes the trajectory of your life. Now, from that moment on, you are engaged in the mission of Jesus Christ. So here's my question for you. How do you see yourself in the vision of sunrise in the future? Because God has a unique calling on your life, not just my life. Ephesians 2.10 is true for every single person in this room and online who is a follower of Jesus Christ. He has created you. You are Christ's workmanship. Created to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to walk in. You are gifted. You are called. We harvest. Not just me. Not just a few. Not just some. We are all going into the harvest. Let's take that second word. If we're all doing it, what does harvest mean? Let me show you this. Go again, next verse. Verse 2. And he said to them, this is Jesus, commissioning the 72, probably doesn't even include the 12, the professionals, the guys who get screen time. Right? The 72, not casted in the chosen. They're not there. He says to these non-cast members, the harvest is plentiful, 
But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go on or go your way. Notice where Jesus saw scarcity and where Jesus saw abundance. What what does Jesus say? Where is the plentiful part? Where is the lacking part? He says the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. It's not the harvest's fault. It's not the harvest problem. It's not like it's ripe and it's rich and it's ready to go. It's not like God's not moving. It's that there's not enough people moving into the harvest. I think this is so strange because in Luke chapter 9, Jesus was just rejected by an entire village. Literally, the paragraph before our paragraph in Luke chapter 9, if you have your Bible, you could look. He's rejected by an entire village. They're like, no, we don't want you. And then Jesus, after that, says, you know what, guys? The harvest is so plentiful. I feel like if I was a disciple, I was like, "Uh, do you remember what just happened? We just got ran out of town. But Jesus just always has this abundant mentality. We see it throughout the New Testament. In John chapter 4, the disciples don't see it, but Jesus sees it. Jesus is outside the Samaritan village. You probably know this story. And he's there at this well. And there's a woman, a woman with a very sinful background. And he engages this woman in conversation. He speaks about this woman, or to this woman about the, the life change that he can offer her. And she, her life is changed by the message that Jesus shares. And she goes out into the village. He starts telling everybody about this village or, or about Jesus in this village. And then the village is just turned upside down. And the disciples come and they're like, what is going on? Jesus, you were talking to who? Why are we going to this village? It's just a bunch of unclean people. And Jesus says, man, the harvest is plentiful and you can't see it. Jesus just has this perspective his disciples don't have. A perspective oftentimes we miss. There is abundance there. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew chapter 9. Before he commissions and sends out the 12. And they go on their mission in Matthew chapter 10. And he says, I see an abundant harvest what do you see what do you see do you see abundance when you look at your workplace when you look at your neighborhood you look at your friend group you look at your family group do you see abundance Jesus saw all of these opportunities for life change to happen when he looked out that's what he saw is that what you see Do you see abundance? Do you see a harvest? Do you look to the future and say, yes, God is going to do crazy stuff. God is going to move and he's going to change people's lives. Do you have that kind of mindset? Are you like the disciples and you miss it? You talk about trivialities. Did somebody feed Jesus? Did Jesus give food? That's the discussion in Luke chapter, or sorry, in John chapter 4. And Jesus is saying, guys, you're missing it. I wish you could see it. The harvest is plentiful to workers. Workers are few. I wish you could see the harvest. We should always have this perspective. Always. The New Testament tells us the kingdom of God is always growing. It's never stagnant. You look at the parables and the stories of Jesus Christ as he's describing the kingdom and he describes it as growing. Now, sometimes it grows in secret and sometimes it appears very small, but it's always growing. It's always consistently moving. It's just hard for us to see. The problem is, again, not the harvest and God moving and God calling and God changing lives. That's not the problem. The problem is us engaging the harvest. That's the problem. But Jesus Christ guaranteed to us the kingdom will grow. 
Jesus promised his disciples, this gospel about me, the good news of the forgiveness of sins through my death and resurrection, will be preached to all nations. He says that. It will happen. It's inevitable. It's unstoppable. The kingdom will grow. You cannot push back against it. It will overtake you. It will overwhelm you. It will happen. It is inevitable. The kingdom of God is coming. He's fast forward, if you will, all the way to the book of Revelation. And we're told how the end happens. Every tribe, tongue, nation will be praising Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is never stagnant. It's always growing. Can you see that? Or does adversity cloud your vision of the abundance that Jesus sees? Do the wolves scare you? Do the wolves cloud your vision? When you look out and you hear what Jesus is saying, man, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. You hear that, you're like, Jesus, you don't know. You don't know my family group. You don't know my workplace. You don't know my neighborhood. You don't know my city. Right? You don't know my state. You don't know where we're at. The harvest is plentiful somewhere else. I don't think Jesus has that vision for our area and for this church. Jesus sees both abundance and adversity. And the adversity does not cancel out the abundance. Look how Jesus prepares his first century followers for this. Go down again to verse 2. We'll read it all kind of all the way through. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. I love this. Just look at the animals that Jesus chooses here to illustrate the point of the opposition and rejection that his followers are possibly going to encounter. He says, let me tell you what you're like. You're like a lamb. The most non-threatening of God's creatures, probably. Right? Have you ever been walking? You're like, oh no, a lamb. Ah! You ever had a nightmare about a lamb? If you have, I mean, that's a, you need to stop eating spicy burritos or something like that. Like, something's going on. I don't know. Right? But no one, I don't know, probably in the history of the world has ever said, ah! a wild lamb like they just they're made domestic right they're just like plush little creatures that's all they are it's like it's what are the squash mallows or whatever those things are called right you know what i'm talking about the kids love them they got a big ones at costco that's what a lamb is right it's just god's squash mellow it's just like this little fluff that's it's a walking pillow like it's all that it is and this is what this, if you like lambs, that's okay. I'm not, trying to, I'm not hating on lambs, okay? I'm not. You're a lamb, and I'm a lamb. Like, Jesus, could you pick a more vulnerable creature? I don't think there's any sense of defense mechanism on a lamb. Right? Like, like a sea sponge is more protected than a lamb. And then the character, or the, the animal he chooses next, is, I'm going to send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Have you ever seen a wolf? Okay, I actually saw one, literally not that long ago, 
Thank you, Oregon. Now I'm freaked out. I'm serious. This thing was massive. So we're coming back from California. This is a true story. You can ask my wife about the story. If you don't believe me, you'll believe my wife. And if you don't believe my wife, you're a bad person. Okay. <laughs> we're driving. She's in the, the front. Uh, uh, she's got, we have a bunch of kids, so we can all fit in it with all the luggage and stuff. So we have two cars. All right, so she's in the front. I'm in the back. We're going down the Siskiyou's. Right? And it's like, it's like, you know, short, and there's like, there's this embankment kind of right here, right? That, that concrete thing right here. And we're driving, and it's like, what is that black thing on the road? And what is that kind of brown thing laying on the ground? So as we're driving, we watch literally a wolf make a kill on a deer in the middle of the freeway. Yeah. I white-knuckled it. I was like, here we go. This is how we go out. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm, you know, I'm like flashing back to Twilight. I'm like, I'm team vampire. Bam. I was going to take out this wolf. Right? And I mean, the wolf was, I mean, he was like in between a big dog and a cow. Like, he was like massive as we're driving down. And my wife saw the kill, like him get the, I mean, it was crazy. Sorry, PG here. You know, got the neck um, and whispered something into him. Hey, lay down. I'm trying to make a picture. <laughs> and then the deer was like, okay, yeah, I'll take a night-night. And then he started to uh, massage him with his teeth. <laughs> and I'm driving as I'm like, and we pass. I was like, I don't know what that is. My wife immediately calls me. Did you see that? I was like, I don't know what, I don't know what I saw. I need a therapist, right? It was scary. This is kind of what Jesus is describing here. I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves, right? And if I'm honest, right, I get nervous. I get scared. When you think about the radical mission of God that Jesus Christ has called us all to, we harvest, not just some of us, all of us. And what I love about Jesus is he's a realist here. He says, guys, look. I can almost feel like Jesus has his hand on my shoulder and he's, he's bending down. He says, Paul, look. You see the wolves? You can hear them breathing. Slow. Now you can see their eyes. You can almost feel the sharpness of their teeth. They want you. They want to eat you. What would ever compel me as a lamb to go out amongst wolves? The harvest, the harvest compels me. The reward of following that call compels me. Let's go. Because the reward of the harvest is worth the risk of getting eaten. And if you zoom out from what Jesus said here and you zoom out just in the Gospel of Luke and you zoom out into the book of Acts, we see the same exact thing. This idea that there are wolves, there is adversity, but the harvest is plentiful, so it's worth the risk. That's what leads Jesus to the crucifixion. That's when the wolves tried to devour him, but they couldn't. And that's when he gained the harvest. And his first century followers had that same exact vision. It doesn't matter about the opposition. It doesn't matter about rejection. It doesn't matter how hard the road is, because the harvest is plentiful, and the reward is worth the risk. So get out into the harvest. 
Look how Jesus describes the action now that's called. We harvest among wolves. Go down again. We're going to read verse 2 and 3. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Notice what Jesus does here. Jesus does two things. He says, I want you to pray and I want you to go. We've been walking through prayer, and we're going to continue to walk through prayer in Luke and the book of Acts. and the writings of Luke, we're going to look at prayer. Look at this prayer right here. This prayer is in alignment with action as well. You know, at times what we do is we take prayer, and we think of it in this kind of category of, I'm going to give God things that only he can do. I'm going to give God things only he's capable of fulfilling. And that is a very good definition of prayer, but it's not a full definition of prayer. Because Jesus is saying to his disciples, I want you to pray for laborers, now go be a laborer. Do you see how prayer and action are working together? Praying for laborers to get in the harvest is not enough. He says, you pray for them and then you be them. You fulfill the request that you're asking for. Right? Don't treat prayer as this kind of idea, well, I'm going to pray this and then I'm not going to move. Then you're really working against your prayer. It'd be like you going to a friend and saying, hey, friend, I really want to lose weight. Can you hold me accountable? Help me lose weight. And then you get mad at your friend because all you've done for the last six weeks is eat donuts and gravy, and you're wondering why you gained weight. That's a terrible diet. But that's not their fault, right? So let me ask you. Will you pray? For laborers, and will you be a laborer? Will you be a laborer? The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Therefore, go and pray. I want you to take out the envelope. Don't open it yet. I know you're like, ah! Some of you are like, whatever. You don't have authority over me. I already opened it. (laughs) Good for you, Heather Brown. Good for you. She's already read it anyway, she knows. Let me, let me just walk you through kind of the process here. Here's what we did. Okay, this isn't Paul went up the mountain and got this. That's not, not how it, it was. Really, as a staff team, we prayed together. We met together. We talked together. We studied the scriptures together. Uh, we, even, we even looked at models in the modern church. We looked at models in the historical church. We spent our time. We said, what would God have us do for this season? We listened to you. If you remember that church survey that we did, over 300 of you took that survey. We listened to the survey. We listened to God's voice in the scriptures. We listened to God's voice as, as, as he spoke through the people and the team. We had a big room of people. We included it all. If, if you would describe it as any way, it wasn't Paul went up the mountain. It's the staff went up the mountain. We prayed and we asked the Lord, Lord, what would you have us do? If we're to stretch our vision 10 years, what would we want to see? Okay, and this, this is what kind of came out of that. Not kind of, this is what came out of that. And this is big. This isn't light. This is beyond us. And that's why I love it. Because if it's going to happen, it's not only going to take us laboring in the harvest, we're going to have to beg the Lord to give us even more laborers. Because it's a big big vision but I'm okay with that so let me let's open it up together and let me walk you through it 
And if you can't read it, it's going to be big on the screen. I promise. Let me walk you through this vision. You can see in the middle there, there's some finances, some numbers and stuff like that. That's good. That's good for you to see. If the big takeaway from that is God is blessing us. He's blessed us beyond uh, or through the pandemic. We're financially well. We're being good stewards and God is still moving. We're excited about where we are. As a church, we have experienced the, the effects of COVID and what that's done on the kind of attendance of most churches. We have not experienced a dip like most churches had. God has kept us from that. And so we're very, very thankful for that. And you can see there's movement in that direction. But that's not where I want a lot of your attention to be. I want it to be on the top. Here's what we see Sunrise looking in 10 years. Okay? In 10 years, we'll have guided over 1,000 people through a 10-week discipleship journey that will launch them on the adventure of experiencing the presence of God in their everyday lives. I'm going to run through the rest of it, but let me give you that first point. Put that first slide back up. Here's what I don't want you to see. This is not a vision about addition. It is a vision about multiplication. And why do we say 10 years, 10-week journey? What we want to do is we want to saturate in an experience, a relational community, what people need to live the adventure of the Christian life for the rest of their life. And we believe we can do that in 10 weeks. In 10 weeks, not that they would complete the whole journey, like, okay, now I'm a perfect Christian. I never have to read the Bible again. No. What we're saying is we can give you the tools so you know how to walk. This is like your training camp. We want to get a thousand people through a 10-week kind of training camp so you know how to walk out the mission of God in your everyday life. We just started this. We have over 100 people who are walking this journey right now, this 10-week journey. If you think of the history of Sunrise and our discipleship pathway, connect, grow, serve, lead in classes, it's like that just in a relational environment of a small group. Okay, so let me keep going, because this is kind of the heartbeat. We want to walk with people on a journey to get them launched out, and then this is where it'll take us. Go to the next slide. Experiencing the presence of God in their everyday life. They will walk with God each day through intimate prayer, deep reflection on scripture, and humble confession of sin. They will walk out the mission of God each day by caring, serving, and engaging with other followers of Jesus and those not yet following Jesus. Every aspect of their lives will be dramatically impacted by their walk with God. So when we get together, how can we do that? How can we get people walking with God every day through those things we described and walking out the mission of God? Our gatherings have to be a catalyst to that kind of living. So here's what our gatherings will look like. Our gatherings will model how to flourish in the presence of God. These spaces will be centered on scripture, marked by radical hospitality, honest prayer, cheerful generosity, eager participation, and humble learning. Here's how this will change you. This is my favorite part of the vision. Right here. What happens if we do this and these gatherings after actually foster this everyday experience of living in the presence of God? Here's what will happen. The maturing process will create an abundance of hungry followers. These followers will sense a unique calling on their lives to bring into reality the kingdom dream that God has placed deeply into their hearts. The dreams of these followers, my favorite line is in, of our vision is right here. The dreams of these followers will take us to places not yet on our ministry maps. Stretching the horizon of possibility beyond our conventional thinking. I love that. What will God do for this church because of you? 
You are not here by accident. You are brought into this church because you are, vital, you are a vital part of this church. And God has unique works for you to walk into. I have no idea where this will take us. Yes, there's definition to this vision. There is. There's numbers to this vision. There is. But there's, a, in a sense, an ambiguity to this because we don't know what will happen if you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, start to say, how has God uniquely gifted me? How can I change the world and change lives around me? What's my unique contribution to the kingdom of God? We get people to start thinking radically like that? I have no idea where that takes us, but I can't wait to go on that journey. And I want you to come with me on that journey. Because I want to see every single one of you get to eternity on E. Jesus, I got nothing left. Everything you gave me, I spent it all. Every potential I fully actualized, every gift that you gave me, I gave it right back to you. Every strength that you infused into me as a human being, I used it for you. Even my mess, even my slop, even the brokenness, I turned that around and I used it for you. We harvest. Not me harvest. We harvest. Let's keep going. Our pastors and staff will invest more time supporting the dreams of these hungry followers, these followers, than recruiting volunteers to run programs. And allowing the gifts of our pastors and staff to blossom. Next slide. Our team will be more focused on the sending capacity of our church than the seating capacity of our auditorium. I love that. This is not a vision about addition. We're not just trying to fill this room. That's not what we're about. Right? We're not a movie theater. We're not just trying to sell out the seats. It's not who we are. The seating capacity of our auditorium. We will plant five churches regionally of 100 plus people that will embody the core of this vision. These churches will plant another church within seven years of their start. This is crazy. Here's why this is crazy. We're, we're hanging out as a staff and we're writing this because this vision is something we go through every single week because it's our North Star. We believe this is what God is calling us to do. We got to funnel all of our resources in this direction. We believe God is calling us to do this. And so that aligns things differently. That moves things differently. And so we were sitting there and I was just kind of writing down some of the vision and we're talking about it. And I said, guys, you realize our vision talks about, hey, we're going to lead people, a thousand people through this discipleship journey. That could be people already with us or not yet with us. But you realize the tail end of our vision says we're going to lose 500 people. What a terrible business plan. But that's 500 givers. Right? This is bad. Like our stock would, would go down. Right? If the, if the public knew about this, they're like, no, we need another board. Okay? Get this guy under control. What is happening here? Here's what we're saying. We want five churches regionally of 100 plus people. We don't, we're not going to lose 500 people. We're going to send them. Because new churches reach new people. And the harvest is plentiful. And I think more plentiful than this room can hold. More plentiful than just the seats we have in this room. And there are incredibly gifted people who can lead a church, who can teach God's word, who can serve. It's not a vision of addition. It's a vision of multiplication. In summary, we said this. In summary, the next slide here. Divine intimacy 
will lead to missional intensity. We want this walk to be so good that you look up and you see God for who he is in all his brilliance and all his beauty and all his wonder and all his glory. You look down and you'll see yourself. You realize there's deficiency in here. There's brokenness in here. There's strength in here. But there is need of aid and help. And God assures you that he will step into those places that you expose to him. Say, Father, these are the needs that I have. But we don't think it stops there. We think when this is going well, you're going to do this. If the up and down are doing good, you're going to go out. If the up and down are doing good, you're not going to say, put me on the cruise ship. Can't wait to eat the lobster. Buffet is great. No. You're going to say, hey, I got my training. Put me on the ship. Send me out. Where do I go? Launch me. Where do I go? I want to be moved because the harvest is plentiful. And I don't want the workers to be few. So here's my question for you, Sunrise. As you look at this vision, you look at these things, here's my challenge to you this week. I want you to maybe put it in your Bible, put it on the fridge, whatever. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to read it, and I want you to ask yourself this question in prayer to the Lord. Father, how can I labor in this harvest? How can I labor in this harvest? And then I want you to pray, send us laborers. How can I labor in this harvest and then send us laborers? Can you give me that? Sunrise Church, will you pray that prayer this week? I want to hold you accountable. Will you pray that prayer this week? Okay, I got one guy praying. That's awesome. Okay. Sunrise Church, will you pray that prayer this week? Then you are now engaged in a land filled with wolves. And that should scare you, but it should strengthen you. Because the wolves, all they can do is take our lives. They cannot take our eternity. The Spirit will strengthen you to walk into this harvest, but there will be wolves. Pray that prayer. Pray that dangerous prayer. I want to get to two kind of formalities real quick, okay? I want you to look at the bottom of the the vision here because this has changed some of our staffing. It's changed some of the roles. Not addition of a staff or or subtraction of staff, not like that, but it's changed and aligned things differently. Look at the bottom of the, the page there. It says, in light of our new vision, we have restructured some of our current staff roles. Some of those roles have changed January 1. Others will transition in the summer. So Aaron Keller... That awesome guy who's up here on the guitar most of the time, if you don't know him. Aaron Keller is now serving as our executive pastor of arts and discipleship. We're very, very excited about that. He's doing a phenomenal job. Wonderful guy. James Gleason, you may know that name. He's kind of a newbie around here. Uh, good. <laughs> is now serving us part-time as our pastor of special projects. Keith Doherty will be transitioning into the role of pastor of missions and care as of the summer. And Jace Johnson will serve as our first steps director as of this summer. 
Another thing we need to do because it's an annual meeting is you're going to see two faces on the screen. You're going to see a little card that's probably on top of the seat. We need to reaffirm these trustees. So if you are a voting member of Sunrise, what I need you to do is just check the box. Check yes, check no. Go back to when you were dating somebody in junior high. It's just like that. Okay, I think you know how to handle that. There's going to be boxes in the back for you to drop those off. Please don't put them in the offering bags. Uh, there's boxes in the back as you leave. If you're a voting member, make sure you check that box. Church family, let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. And Father, I thank you that you have called us into a harvest that is plentiful. I believe you. I believe you. Christ, I believe your vision. I believe that the harvest is plentiful. And we just admit and we confess right now. Father, we don't know everything. We don't know what the future holds. We know, we know that we have been burdened by a plan, a, a, a picture of what sunrise could be in 10 years. We, we have felt that burden. We believe that burden honors you. We put it on paper, but we know it's not inspired, but it is something that is moving inside of us. And we just submit it to you, Lord. We submit it to you and say, we want to enter eternity on empty. And we don't want to be afraid of wolves. I pray that Sunrise Church will never be afraid of the wolves. Because the Spirit of God is in us. And the harvest is ripe. And the reward is worth the risk. Father, I pray you be with everybody in this room, everybody online. I pray you be with us this week, man. May this be a rich time of deep prayer. How can I labor in this harvest? And I feel the burden, Father, just from I'm honest right now. We need more laborers. Not because we want to get bigger. It's because we want to send people out. There's so many who don't know you in this area and in this community. And you didn't put us here by accident. You want us to go out and to labor. I pray, Jesus, that you wouldn't see that the laborers are few when you look at sunrise. I pray your phrase would be, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are many. May we be a church with many, many, many laborers. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.